Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Hura Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Well, first, I'll just start by thanking you for coming, Mike. Thank you. Tonight's guest is Mike D, and it's not the same Mike D from the Beastie Boys. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good. Okay. Yeah, Mike D. Uh... 50-year-old. I can't believe you're 50, dude. That, that shocks me. Yeah, 50 years old. Uh, yeah, I was in a couple treatment centers. <laughs> I, was in, I was in three treatment centers. Uh, but the third one is when I started recovery, I believe. That was 13 years ago. That was uh, 1835 house. That's, mm-hmm. I believe that's when I really hit my turning point where I wanted to change my life. Uh, but I, you know, couldn't. <clears throat> the first two treatment centers, one was in uh, Henwood in Edmonton. I was trying to get my uh, my wife and kids back and mm. was doing it for all the wrong reasons, and I had no desire to quit. My second treatment center, I ended up in Manitoba with my my parents, staying in my parents' basement, relapsing, and they, they put me in a treatment center in Winnipeg. Once again, I was doing it for them, and I didn't, it didn't work, and I knew I wasn't going to stay sober. Mm-hmm. I had no intentions of it. The third treatment center, yeah, 1835, 13 years ago, I was 38 years old. I was coming in right off the streets, and I was sick and tired, and I wanted it for, my, for me. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted it for. So there's a little, so I, I, have, I have about three years and three quarters close to four years sober right now and that's that's what I'm concentrating on congrats man. everything before that's a failure the 13 years of recovery that I I believe is my start of my recovery you know with a lot of fails relapses yeah so anyways I was born in Manitoba Portage of Prairie Manitoba is where I'm from Born, of course, into alcoholic. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. My mom was the breadwinner, and I was the only child. Uh, I have a stepbrother that was, you know, given away for adoption, uh, two years older than me. And so, yeah, I was an only child, <clears throat> alcoholic family, uh, pretty much poverty. Uh, 
uh, you know, mental, physical abuse from the father. Uh, you know, nothing too crazy, but and uh, yeah, I, I I grew up. Uh, I just remember uh, watching the fights and the the alcoholism. And, uh, you know, swearing I'd never grow up to be like my father, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I believe we're molded by our environments. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I grew up in this household uh, with a lot of shame. Uh, I didn't want friends over. I was ashamed of my my parents because they fought and it was embarrassing. And uh, I, uh, I was kind of neglected. <coughs> Uh, spoiled, neglected. I don't know if spoiled. It wasn't spoiled, but I was just neglected. Mm. So I started doing whatever I wanted to, and I, yeah, and you know, like, like, been, you know, like I started lying at an early age. You know, my dad, don't tell your mother, mm. I'm that I was drinking today, or I was doing this, or I took this money, or you know, there's the paper boy. Don't. Uh, <clears throat> You know, we're not home, whatever, you know, good boy, you know, you, uh, you did good there. You. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I, so I started developing character defects at a very young age. I, you know, of course I started, uh, stealing cigarettes, uh, drinks here and there. Cause I watched my father do it and I, you know, I wanted to be like my dad, <coughs> I think. And, uh, anyways, in my childhood, you know, in school and stuff, I was very, very shy and timid. I, I had like kick dog syndrome. I couldn't look anyone in the eye. I, I just didn't feel like I fit in with the rest of the kids. Yet I did. I was always accepted and loved by all the kids around me, but I didn't feel it. You know, I didn't feel it. And, uh, you know, that's when the, when I first discovered alcohol. And, uh, wow, you know, I, I could, uh, I took that drink and, um, boom, I, you know, I could, I could tell a joke and I could be the life of the party and I, I could look you in the eye, you know, I, it was, I felt bigger than life. This stuff was, this was a, this elixir, magic elixir was my solution to Mike's, uh, social misfit, uh, whatever was going on with me, uh, yeah, I, I still have troubles today trying to understand, you know, how I developed, but yeah, that's what this is all about, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I progressed, I, I, I drank on weekends, I was a binge drinker, I always wondered why, uh, you know, I was always the last one at the party, you know, and looking for the after party and uh, always looking for something more, you know, some drugs, any way to get out of my, myself, I, I'll take anything, anything. I, uh, yeah, I think it was low self-esteem. Anyways, uh, God, how, when it got really bad, well, I actually smartened up when I turned 18. I moved uh, out to Alberta. I, was, uh, I dropped out of school. I was kind of a fuck up. Uh, and I just wanted to be a rig pig. You know, I could make, I could make as much as a lawyer. 
you know, and be a dummy, a dropout. <laughs> so I, and that's what all my friends were doing, right? And yeah. being on the rigs, we partied hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was okay with me because I like partying. You know, I, I don't think I was an addict and an alcoholic quite yet. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I got introduced to the cocaine and, <clears throat> yeah, the, the living out of hotel rooms and fighting and drinking like animals. And uh, I met my my first real rote honey. Uh, and we had two kids together. And I just, uh, you know, I, I, I went through every rig company in Red Deer. You know, I'd get fired, get a new job, work for a few weeks, get drunk, fuck up, fired. I would literally, I hopped, I've worked for every company, you know, in frickin' northern Alberta, every service rig, drilling rig. So anyways, <clears throat> yeah, life was unmanageable at that point, and I started getting into the cocaine. Me and my wife, I got her into it too. You know, we had lots of money because I was working in the oil field and uh, I was getting bored with life and I wanted to take it to the next level. We started gambling, doing cocaine lots, drinking, and it got, I got addicted. Mm. And somehow, <clears throat> uh, her name was Mary, uh, she she was able to, to shut her down for the kids and stuff. I couldn't. You know, I kept working and I kept fucking up. And I got to the point where I, uh, you know, I'd go, I'd go out for a beer and I wouldn't come home for two weeks. And she just, uh, it, it got to the point where I, I had to check into a treatment center. That's when I went to Henwood. And I did my 30 days or whatever it was, I can't remember. And I remember getting out, I, I got out on Halloween day and uh, I found out she was in a relationship with another man mm-hmm. and I couldn't, and she didn't, she wouldn't take me back, even, even 30 days sober, right? <laughs> and, you, like, and it didn't make any sense. No, and I'm just <laughs> like, what's with this bitch? <laughs> well, fuck her and fuck the world and fuck everything. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I, uh, I remember I was dressed up like Paul Stanley from Kiss and uh, Halloween night and I OD'd mm-hmm. and uh, woke up in a hospital six in the morning and uh, I remember ripping all the heart monitors off and leaving. Actually, it was quite interesting. I ran into a man that morning that was trying to save me. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him. He was like he was sent from God. This was like a, a, a freaking out-of-body experience. I actually just remember this now. And I remember when I first seen him, it was a, just a silhouette. It was in the morning, eh? Mm-hmm. And he took me for breakfast and, and was uh, preaching uh, the gospel to me, uh, Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because I've ran into this man several times throughout my journey. So oh, uh, here in Calgary and Red Deer, this happened in Red Deer, right? What a coincidence! Oh yeah, this this man is like <laughs> Jesus Christ. He yeah. pops up right in these <laughs> these times of dire. Anyways, yeah, that's I, cool. I was so fogged and uh, 
you know, drugged out. I didn't even see it, the spiritual significance of what just happened, this man, you know, trying to save me. But anyways, uh, yeah, after that, then I uh, dissented really deep into the depths of uh, the drug mm-hmm. underworld and uh, in Red Deer with the bikers, uh, some really big time dealers and uh, there was like a lot of murders going on at the time. Um, it, it was, it, it's like something out of a Tarantino film, to tell mm-hmm. you the honest truth. I remember being in like crack shacks with a body laying in a, a room. Mm-hmm. You know, I, did, I remember seeing people get shot. I remember uh, being under investigation by the police. Uh, you know, uh, do not detain orders, uh, being followed. And uh, it was bad. You know, I w- I'd be like doormans at crack houses because I was pretty big. Uh, I was still had some weight to me and I was a rig pig and I was, you know, pretty hardened. And uh, yeah, I was doing all this kind of work, you know. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was beating people up and I was a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, did I get deep into the, the drug, uh, cocaine, crack cocaine and the drinking, right? The, the drinking always led to it all. I was a daily user. I couldn't stop. I just wanted to die after losing my family and my children. Mm -hmm. There was nothing left to live for. And I was so fucked up and depressed and just suicidal, homicidal in and out of jail. It was brutal. Uh, somehow, I got out of, I, I did a lot of time in jail, right? Mm-hmm. I, I uh, it was just in and out, in and out, in and out. I couldn't, I couldn't, I got kicked out of Red Deer by a judge. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want you back in the city uh, for a year. I don't, that must have been, the, he would have kicked me for life, but I think that's the, I don't know how that works, but I was kicked out of Red Deer. I was like, I was a scourge. It was a condition of your release kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. Like, and um, I ended up in Calgary on the streets of Calgary. And that's when I really, I was just a street bum. Mm-hmm. I, the only thing I could do was shoplift. So, yeah, the, I spent years on the streets here in Calgary. Daily user, uh, DI, Mustard Seed, Alpha mm-hmm. House. I really liked the Alpha House. They'd wash your clothes and let you sleep. Mm-hmm. And then they'd send you out ready to go for another week. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. So, anyways, that went on for years and years. At the age of 38, I finally, one day, it was a hot summer day. I must have blew, I, I managed to steal about $500 worth of stuff. I had my cocaine for the day. I didn't even have cigarettes. I wouldn't even care about, and I remember this little kid was drinking a Slurpee, and uh, I didn't even have enough money to buy myself a fucking Slurpee. Mm-hmm. And I just went, that's it, I, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's when I, I started trying to get into a treatment center. Uh, you know, I phoned, I phoned in for a month and I lived on the streets. I, phone, I, managed, I managed to come up with 35 cents every day and go to a pay phone and phone 1835. 
And one, <laughs> one day, they just said, yeah, uh, bring your bag. But I was like, no way, man. I, I got a bunch of crack to smoke first, mm -hmm. right? But I did. I saw, somehow, I, by the grace of God, I walked into that treatment center. I lied to them. I said I, I had a detox, which I hadn't. And I was sick, man. Like, I was like 150 pounds, beard, stung, I stunk. I was just, I was living under a bridge, mm. eating out of garbage cans. And yeah, <clears throat> I was willing to do anything, anything. And I fucking, yeah, that, that was like the most humbling uh, day of my life. And yeah, I went into 1835. I stayed there for about nine months. And, uh, you know, I washed toilets and did dishes and I'd listen to everything they said. And I pro I made a promise to myself I would work and, and I would work out and I would uh, never let myself go that low again. And that's what I did, man. I worked out every day. I went to work. I, I went to meetings all day long and it became my life. I met a girl on Plenty of Fish. <laughs> Ooh, I remember Plenty of Fish. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the first girl I met on Plenty of Fish, I, I took her, man, and that was, that was my final relief from my ex, the disconnect from my, my family. Mm -hmm. I wanted to die over those people for, mm -hmm. for 15 years, and uh, I was able, finally in that treatment center. I remember just going... What the fuck am I doing? I just gave, threw my life away for feelings and thoughts. Mm -hmm. And it just blew my mind. So anyways, I met this girl on uh, <clears throat> Plenty of Fish, and I, I decided to move out. After nine months, I was a senior senior. And I, was, you know, I, was, I was so senior, I was looking after the seniors. Mm -hmm. And I uh, moved into an apartment with my new girlfriend, who was also an addict and a drunk, use and uh, currently using actually, mm -hmm. but I didn't care. I just wanted to, you know, a girlfriend so bad. Yeah. I didn't give a sh. So that was uh, that's when I started fighting for my life. I already had a job. I was making money, but I would uh, I would get those checks, paychecks, and she'd she'd want to relapse, and I'd go with her, and I'd relapse. And then I'd go back to meetings. I, I didn't understand the aftercare needed. I, I thought I was I was on step 12 out of treatment, and that's all I needed. I, I, didn't, under, I didn't have a comprehension of what was going on. And, uh, you know, I'd go downtown, I'd volunteer at the mustard seed, but it didn't keep me sober. I, I was still in the relapse cycle, but I wasn't using daily. I was using every second weekend. Sometimes I'd make a month, and I'd go to, to meetings in between because I knew I knew I, I was going down again, mm -hmm. you know. And I just kept going to meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings, and I just uh, and relapsing and meetings. I at one point I was able to get three years, and then I relapsed again. And I and then I had to figure out what was going on with me. 
And the thing was, I was just doing time at the meetings. I wasn't doing the steps. I didn't have a sponsor. Well, I was sponsoring myself. And uh, that's terrifying. Yeah. And yeah, this nut bar was sponsoring myself and I was giving myself suggestions. And <laughs> anyways, I, for 10 years, I, I did this and I relapsed, you know, and I'd get time, six months, relapse, three years, relapse, one year, relapse. And I, I come to the point where I, uh, the, the, the whole problem was I was agnostic. I, mm -hmm. I didn't uh, have a, a higher power at all. And I had no interest in getting one at, either. And uh, I sat in those rooms and I, I, I'd sit there and say, these people are sheep. Mm -hmm. You know, they're clueless. And I don't want anything to do with God, but I, I do know this program works because I've seen it. Mm -hmm. work and I'm gonna I'm gonna be different I'm gonna I'm gonna make this thing work without the God thing and I, I did that for 10 years and I I could not figure out why I was relapsing and it, you know something terrible what if someone would die and I'd be oh poor me it's all about me and then I'd go drink or you know my girlfriend and me would have a huge fight and she'd go relapse and then I'd go relapse and it's mm -hmm. or I was having a wonderful, great day, and I had fucking three months in, and things couldn't be better, and I'd go relapse. Mm -hmm. And then I just went, what the hell? And then I, and uh, my last my last couple relapses, well, the last one, almost four years ago, damn near OD'd, almost died. I was calling an ambulance, come get me. Same with the time before that. Uh, ambulance I thought I was having a heart attack <clears throat> yeah so I what happened was I uh, I completely surrendered finally finally and yeah I was this is the this is the kicker I was at a I still wasn't completely surrendered because I didn't mm -hmm. want God yet and I was I was coming back I was at the Glenmore meeting and I was complaining about my life and how I relapsed and, you know, just fuck the world. And uh, a member came up to me. He came up to me and he just went, Mike, he's like, just fucking pray for fuck's sakes. <laughs> right? <laughs> or what? No, he said, just do that fucking step three prayer. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I I uh, went home and did it. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, that was the that's when everything changed for me. Yeah, I just I started praying, and I started feeling it. And then I started doing the seven prayer and the eleven. <sighs> yeah, it was a miracle. Everything changed for me. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's powerful shit. It is because it's making me cry right now, mm. and uh, I've never believed in anything in my life. And uh, yeah, I just. Uh, 
and I still didn't. But just by saying those prayers, I felt uh, security. I felt like I knew everything was going to be okay. And I could feel God, right? I could feel a higher power. And uh, yeah, it started to grow. I started, yeah, becoming interested in uh, my fellows. Mm -hmm. Those promises started coming, right? Not fully. And then, so what happened then? Yeah, so life got really a lot better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I went on a new direction in life. I started finding peace, serenity, happiness, joy, and uh, everything was started going great. And I hit a wall. <clears throat> I hit a wall around uh, two years ago, and uh, you know, with relationships and and stepping on the toes of my fellows, and my character defects started uh, running awry, and my life had become unmanageable again. Sober. And I, uh, <laughs> I made a decision to uh, get a sponsor and do the steps mm-hmm. for for a fucking what a night what a you know epiphany. It's like, <laughs> it's like I can't do life anymore. Yeah. Even sober. Yeah. I got to do these steps, man. I I've been watching them people do them for thirteen years now. I've been watching collecting data. I've been watching all the people. These people are uh, getting lives and, and they're happy and they're hugging and shaking hands and they just look genuinely happy and there's no bullshit going on here. They aren't faking it. <clears throat> and these are the people that did the steps and they did the self-inquiry and uh, you know I, I was like, I don't need no step four or five. I already know I did that stuff. Mm-hmm. Why would I try to hurt myself by bringing it up again. You know, I just, you know, that's the kind of person I am. Full of isms. Ignorant. And uh, that's the best thing that's happened to me is just uh, I got humility. I got teachable. You know, when I sit in those rooms, most of the time my antennas are up and I'm listening. And I, mm-hmm. and I, and I do go in those rooms now and I, I try to forget everything I think I know, mm. you know, so I can have a, a new experience because I do three meetings a day, mm. every day, 365 days. I, I, you can find me at Christmas time. I'll be in that room, mm. right? Because I have to be, uh, you know, when I was a, a hardcore junkie, there was no hope for me. But just something, it, it's, it's just, there's like a thousand different little things that happened that had to happen mm-hmm. for this to happen. And all the work that I've had to put in and just the grace of God and how slow the process and all the hurt and just everything had to be orchestrated to a perfectly for me to be here right now and it's it's mind-boggling mm-hmm. that's why i get tears mm-hmm. i get it man it's a fucking trip fuck is like it's gratitude mm-hmm. it's like what's going on there's water running down my cheeks 
it's gratitude. Mm -hmm. Like it's because when I think about all the like, if I condensed all the pain and suffering and misery and the feelings that I've gone through to get to this point and in into like right now, it like it would kill me a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. But it it had to happen in in you know God's time. And uh, I'm a slow learner, and uh, it's just a bloody miracle that I'm here, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like I said, I go to three meetings a day, every day. I start off with a morning meeting. Well, I, I try to get up. I try to pray. Uh, because that will set my day on a trajectory of goodness. And I need to be reminded every morning that I'm an alcoholic. And I have to be reminded that my will's no good. My, I have a thinking problem. So I, I got to read that step three. I got to read that step seven. Because when I walk out my door, I, I'm, uh, I'm not, um, I'm a deficient, uh, you know, I can act out and, behaviors mm-hmm. which uh are, so i gotta do that step seven prayer i gotta you know get rid of the good and bad and then i gotta uh do that step 11 and that that's been the lifesaver for me i you know when i had to find a higher power you know that and like what's god's will for me like come on i i don't have a fucking clue mm-hmm. and i and uh but I do now. It's the step eleven prayer. Mm-hmm. That's God's will for me. There's not. That's all I need, and I keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know that step eleven prayer. That's all I need to do, and I need to remember that. You know, it's, you know, if there's darkness, bring the light. You know, mm-hmm. if there's hatred, you know, bring love. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've I've gotten to practice that step eleven in my life in all kinds of situations where I'm just like, where I'm going to do my will and I'm like, I stop and I'm like, no, what would a loving God do right now? Mm-hmm. What would a loving God have me do as his you know, employee in this situation right now? And it's never the, what I would do. Mm-hmm. So I listen to that intuition, mm-hmm. that gut feeling, and, I, and I've done it and... <laughs> I've seen how it's the better way every fucking time. Mm-hmm. Every time, you know. Uh, I don't, you know. I have this rule. It's like if I if I have an itch to do something, I'll, it's I should probably do the exact opposite because I'm just, yeah. I, I have a thinking problem, mm-hmm. and I will always have a thinking problem because I, you know. Like, like what I've found out in the book and through the meetings, I'm a selfish, self-seeking, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a thief. And it's, it's not even my fault, really, but I do got to take accountability for it, and uh, I, it's my duty to correct it. You know, it, it, you know, things happen to me that have molded me to the person I am. Some of those things are horrible, and a lot of some of them were not my fault at all, but it's my responsibility as an adult to fix, you know, whatever's happened to me. 
you know, that that makes me do the things I do. I have to fix that. It's my responsibility. And, uh, you know, that's why I go to meetings. I, I chair three meetings a week. You know, I was doing phone monitoring last weekend. Instead of going to Banff Roundup, I stayed home and did, I even had a ticket. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to go to Banff Roundup. I don't know. It didn't matter. I did the phone monitoring. Uh, you know, I I will carry this message. That it's my duty uh, today mm -hmm. to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous to anybody that reaches out for it. You know, mm -hmm. I I I've had people that reached out for help for me that I fucking hate. Like mm -hmm. literally, I they're the most hated person in this world for me, mm -hmm. and I and I help them. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's what it takes, though, Mike. And you know what? God throws those fucking people at me constantly. Mm -hmm. And and it's just like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Like, have I, have I not been tested enough? But yeah, bring it on, man. Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know. It's easy to help people we get along with. Right? Yeah. Super easy. Or yeah. hot girls. Yep. You know, like, I'll help you move. You absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I have a truck, too. That's where we got to watch our motives, right? 100%. And, uh, yeah, man. You know, at the end of the day, I know what I'm doing, and God knows what I'm doing, hmm. you know. And pff, I want to make the big guy proud. And, uh, you know... This has been this has been an amazing journey, man. My life is. I I hear people get up and say, "Oh, it's better than I could have ever imagined," mm -hmm. and I'm just like, "Bullshit!" <laughs> like, come on. It is. It it mm -hmm. it's a hundred times better than I could have ever imagined, mm -hmm. and I'm not like I'm not driving a Ferrari out mm -hmm. there, you know. I honestly, and they, they say in the promises, financial uh, insecurity will leave us. And I'm just like, I could never have enough money. What are you talking mm -hmm. about? If I had a million dollars, I'd want five. Mm -hmm. And if I had five, I'd want 10. Mm -hmm. On and on. But today, I'm so content with everything I have. I don't even need anything. Mm -hmm. Like maybe some milk in the fridge or something. But like, I honestly am content with everything I have. And I don't need more. And that's financial, uh, mm -hmm. you know, insecurities left me right there. And that is such a blessing to not be, you know, it all boils down to those sins, the, mm -hmm. the seven deadly sins. I'll indulge in every single one of them because I'm an alcoholic addict, you know. I love easy money. I love easy everything. Mm -hmm. Give me all my desires. I want them now. Mm -hmm. And I'll take any shortcut to get to them. And it's, it, I, it doesn't have to be that way for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, this, the fellowship of AA, this journey I've been on is absolutely incredible. And uh, like I said, like, I could literally write a book, mm -hmm. the things I've seen. And, you know, I got to live that life you know, that crazy life, like, of a drug addict, drug dealer, gangster, seen it all. Mm 
you know, so, and uh, you know the suffering, you know, sitting in prison. Mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't give any of it up for anything. I had that had to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I I did two years once in Spy Hill, and I read something like six, almost seven hundred books. Mm-hmm. I never read a book in my life until I went to jail, mm-hmm. and I read like six. I read a book a day. As I sat in my cell for you know sixteen hours a day, reading, 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 and if I wasn't doing that, I was sleeping or working out, and I, that you know that was. That's had to been part of my journey, and I wouldn't change it for anything because the suffering that's what makes me so happy today is because I suffered so much, mm-hmm. so much, man. I suffered and suffered and suffered, and now I'm not suffering. And you know, you need those lows t- to enjoy the highs, mm-hmm. and but today it's about balance, you know, I, I can get too excited. Mm-hmm. And I can, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too, I don't want to have too good of a day. Mm-hmm. I just like to keep them average. I appreciate that. Yeah, because yeah, I, I will, uh, I'll have an emotional hangover tomorrow mm-hmm. if I have too much fun today. Yeah. <laughs> Finding the middle ground always makes it a little bit easier tomorrow, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, my story is is just a textbook typical story of mm. this, this you know the descent from uh, just somewhat normality to uh, the, you know this the descent into alcoholism drug addiction is is not uh, it's one of the it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life was walking into an AA room for the first time. The best thing I've ever done in my life, and uh, you know, I, I'm thinking right now, it's like, whoa, when's the next meeting? <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, because like that's my life today, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you go to ask me years, five years ago, like that, I would be sitting here going to three meetings a day, you know, phoning, reaching out to sponsors. I I actually even started sponsor sponsoring someone, uh, like that's how eager I am to fucking keep my sobriety it's today. Life changing, man. Uh, yeah, and because I, I this is a deadly, deadly disease, mm-hmm. and man, I can stay sober ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, but it's that one, you know, mm-hmm. that point zero 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 one percent of weakness that will kill me. It takes so little to change the path, right? Yeah, like, and, and you know, like, I, I remember the other night, I, I pull up to Garnet over here, and I, uh, I'm sitting in my truck, and I'm, th- I'm going, huh, I'm looking for change for parking. I'm like, fuck, you know, I put five bucks in the pot three times a day. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paying for parking. I'm, I'm spending three hours of my life every day at, Plus, driving back and forth, all the gas, all the, you know, the coffees, the money I spent on, you know, my little wingmen and the people I try to help. And I'm just like, I could really allocate my time better. I could, like, learn a new language. I could, uh, 
you know, I could, and then I'm start, and then I'm starting to, th I just about drove away. I just about went home and said, fuck, why am I even coming to meetings anymore? <laughs> that's the cunning, baffling, that's my disease going, Mike, mm -hmm. it, it was a last ditch effort to go, come on, Mike, mm -hmm. you don't need this shit anymore. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> it's, interesting, eh? It's just, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. When I know I owe my life to this program, you mm -hmm. know, like, and I'm sitting there debating if I need to go to meetings anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to quit right now. Yeah. Never go again. Turn my back on all my friends and my people and my peers and my, yeah. Yeah, that and seems I, less like a God-centered act, action. No, God's not <laughs> anywhere to be found at that point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's why that happened. And yeah. that's why that thought was able to get its, worm its way into my brain. Mm -hmm. Because God... You know, it was left on the black burner today. Mm -hmm. Things were going great. I don't need God today. Yeah. Mike's Mike's uh, got this today. Take a break, God. Yeah, no doubt, <laughs> eh? Do you find that your music, because I know you love music, man, and you play music all the time, um, do you find that, that helps with your recovery? Oh, dude, if I didn't have music, I don't think I'd be sober today. Yeah. I, I It's therapy for me. I, yeah. I get that, yeah. And uh, I'm also an artist, and like you know, these these things all came with sobriety. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know who the fuck I was. Mm -hmm. I had to reinvent myself completely. I, I basically took a you know a chalkboard eraser and just went no more Mike, mm -hmm. and let's let's create a new one. Mm -hmm. And I just I started drawing, playing music. Uh, you know, I even I I even had. I had my own company, railing company. I had to like uh, shut it down mm -hmm. for AA. I had to I had to go AA full time mm -hmm. and figure out how to make money on on outside of AA, mm -hmm. like because uh, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. I needed AA more than I needed my job because without AA I didn't have a job. Mm -hmm. Without AA I have nothing, and I you know. It's more important than my kids, my family, money, jobs, anything, mm -hmm. is I need to be in that room first and foremost, hearing the message. So, yeah, so grateful today. Yeah. So grateful. I was f crying like a baby earlier. Yeah. It's good for the soul, man. They're sacred tears, my friend. Yeah. It's a little embarrassing, but hey, it's uh, it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's definitely welcome here. Yeah. So I don't know what more there is. Cool. Well, well I was going to ask you, is there anything that you would tell people out there who might be just in the dark, man, and need to hear something? Anything mm. that, like, obviously stuff that worked for you that might work for them? I think, I you know, I think the most important, the most important thing I've learned lately is, uh, you know, obviously I'm an alcoholic. I have problems with doing life. I can't do life. I'm an alcoholic. Mm. I can't do life. That's all there is to it. I don't know how. I don't know. And I, I get into heated, you know, I, I butt heads a lot because I don't know how to do life. I don't know how to interact with other humans very well. 
and I have, I'm very opinionated and I got a lot of pride and ego mm -hmm. and I find, you know, there's these, these situations all the time where there's conflict, you know, and what are the most important thing I've learned is uh, love is of the highest energy, uh, like emotion or uh, anytime there's any kind of hatred, jealousy, any of this, these bullshit lower, uh, you know, emotions, anytime you bring love to the room, it will fizzle out any other anger, jealousy, all this shit. And, I, and I've been practicing it. I, I've heard it through another guy that in his spiritual practices. And I, and I decided to, uh, you know, take that tool with me. And I started using it. And man, what a... Man, I've been dissolving so many situ you know, bullshit situations just mm -hmm. by bringing love. It you changes know. everything, Mike. Oh, man. Yeah, like I, I was arguing with the girl, an ex, the other day, and uh, it was just like bubbles and bubbles and bubbles. Like, I'm getting told off here. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm a retard. I'm everything. And I, I was like, I'm not even going to read these, this anymore. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is like every five, 10 bubbles, I'd send a heart and I wouldn't read any of it. And then I'd send a heart mm -hmm. and I wouldn't read any of the bubbles. It was, it was all day long, I'd send a heart. And then finally she's like, I'm confused. Mm -hmm. She goes, I'm going to order some pizza and watch the hockey game. Good night. It's confusing, man. We don't do what people want, right? <laughs> and I was just like, it worked. Because it was you. an experiment. I was, yeah, I, was, I was actually doing an experiment on her to see if this would actually work. If I brought love and only love, nothing more, mm -hmm. let's see if we can shut this shit down. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I did. I shut it right down. And now, I, we're, now we're friends and we talk every day. Man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> but it's amazing what can happen, man, when we're not living in ego all the time, right? And our fears. Oh, I'm still in ego a little bit. Not all the time, though. Yeah. Obviously not, because if you were in your ego, you're not setting that heart, man. Well, if, if God's around, I can't be. That's right. Right? It's like, oh, God's watching. Yeah. I can't. He knows. That's cool. He knows. That's cool shit, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Hopefully I... Bef you did great, man. Before you stop, I just want to mention the prayers that Mike mentioned earlier, the step three, step seven, and step mm -hmm. 11 prayer. If there's anybody out there listening, like, there's a reason why these prayers are pro profound. Like, mm -hmm. the principles of these prayers are essential. The wording... Like in terms of if you have a problem with the word God, who gives a shit? Don't use it. Like use some other word. Don't use a word at all. The principles of the prayer though, if you say them enough times, you will start to believe that it's possible, you know, to let go and to do things like you just said. Right? You know, you're, uh, I agree. And, and this is coming from like a hundred percent hardcore atheist agnostic mm -hmm. that would never, ever believe in anything ever. Yep. And I guarantee those prayers, if I don't say them today, mm -hmm. I'm fucked. Yeah. Like I, my day will blow up mm -hmm. in my face now. They, they have a profound <laughs> reaction, man, because they're profound, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, see, and I've seen that happen in my own life where I was... See where religion gets it right. Yeah. And yeah, they do. Because we have brains, man. And there's a reason why some of these faith-based organizations like churches and et cetera have been around for fucking ever right? If something in there works, right? Yeah. 
There's it's, a lot that probably is bullshit, but that's not the point. It's what works is the love. That's it. The fundamental yeah. idea of a loving God. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what works, just the love aspect of it all.